Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Hidden Sins by Selena Montgomery. This was published in 2006 and is a standalone novel, we think. (laughs) We're pretty sure. We're pretty sure. Uh, Yeah. All right, let's, let's read the jacket. Mara Reed's been stirring up trouble since she was 18, running scams, living on the edge, always on the run. Now, when two thugs are after her with murder on their minds, she is forced into hiding in her small Texas hometown. But cornered in an alley only seconds from death, an unexpected rescuer comes to her aid, Dr. Ethan Stewart, the dark and beautiful scientist whose heart she once broke and betrayed, the only man Mara ever loved. A forensic anthropologist, Ethan is investigating a gruesome discovery. Nearly 100 dead bodies dating back 50 years. A mystery linked to the church once headed by Mara's father. Ethan needs Mara's help. She needs his protection. And their search for a shocking, devastating truth could lead them to forgiveness, salvation, passion, and back to love. If they can survive the journey. So what do you think this jacket does give us the characters? So I think it does that pretty well. Yeah. And I think the, even the dark, beautiful scientist who she once betrayed, like that feels very modern setting crime romance to me. Mm -hmm, I think I've read that sentence on the back of a lot of jackets of books I have both loved and books I have not liked at all. Like it just, I think it's a very (laughs) trophy way to describe a modern spy adjacent book at this point. Spy adjacent. Yeah. That's what this, it is a spy adjacent book. You're right. So yeah, she's a, I call her a con artist in my summary, which we'll get to, but she's, Equal parts, like, she called herself a retriever of documents. Like, she's a a person for hire if you need something not quite legal done. Yeah, she's a con artist, retriever, a little bit of a Robin Hood complex. Yes. Um, which, of course, means we like her, right? You, you, we, we would only like a con artist if they had a reason. I think the only thing I would want to be changed about this jacket is the prologue takes place a hundred years in the past following the events of a train robbery when Mara's grandfather and his accomplices are hiding their gold. And the search for a shocking, devastating truth is the hunt for the gold. I don't quite understand why the book was that big on that plot point because it's literally the prologue before you even meet the main characters. I, I think this jacket would be more appealing if they did play up the treasure hunt aspect of it. Yeah, I think you're right that it captures the romance correctly and the vibe correctly, but I think it's evasive about the plot in a way that just makes it feel really generic when the treasure hunt was sort of the unique thing about it. Exactly. And you you know what I realized, Lane? We forgot to mention why we decided to read this book. Oh, my God, because it was written by Selena Montgomery, a.k.a. Stacey Abrams, who we both really love and respect. Exactly. So when we found out that Stacey Abrams had a former life, 
as a romance novelist. Obviously, we were like, well, we have to pick some of those up and put them on the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, we'll probably be doing this one and one more. So you can look out for that. And I think the next one will give us an excuse to talk what a badass she was for turning Georgia blue. Yes, the next one is set in Georgia. So, so uh, pencil that one in, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but back to this one. Back to this one. This one, as mentioned in the jacket, takes place in Texas, which Lane and I have to admit is not our favorite state in the Union. Honestly, sorry for all of our listeners from Texas. It's honestly, it's got nothing to do with Texas. I've never been there. I have nothing against Texas. I don't really enjoy America as like a setting for my romance novels. (laughs) In general, there are exceptions, but I just find the set dressing of the United States a little less romantic than that of Europe. I I think the big thing is the clothes and there we just especially in this one I kept thinking about it because she she has the only clothes she has are are like his clothes and she they're like cut off khakis and his old like t-shirts okay and there's a moment where he is helping her dress because she is injured and there's a hurt comfort scene at one point and Mm -hmm. In the same way that in a romance novel, a man would talk about, like, assisting her with the pearl-covered buttons of her glove closures. He's helping her with the um, slippery plastic discs. And there's nothing wrong with that, like, from a writing standpoint. It's just much less evocative for me of romance. So basically we, this, I think we have discovered part of the reason why we like, why we prefer historical romance is just because the clothes are so much nicer. (laughs) Yes. But so as usual, before we move into the discussion of the specifics, we generate a random number and attempt to outdo the jacket on the plot. And this week, our random number was only seven. So Meg, what was your seven word summary? My seven word summary is high school sweethearts reunite to hunt treasure. Basic. I think that, that's it. <laughs> Honestly, I think with what you had to work with, you did a better job describing the plot than the real jacket did. <laughs> well, thank you, Lane. Uh, I, mirrored, I mirrored the jacket a little more closely. Third generation con artist can't run from love. <laughs> I do. I do like that. She can't run from love. <laughs> she tries, guys. She tries. And like, can't is a weird word. Like, she has to stop. It just stops working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so the major trope in this book, as I'm sure you guessed, is this is a second chance romance. Yeah, so they were high school sweethearts-ish, but they kept their relationship a secret from everybody except, like, these three people who are relevant to the plot. Yep. That's it. Because, uh, again, as the official book jacket says, her father was the minister of this church. Very strict. So if he knew she was running around with boys, then he would have come down real hard on her. Yep. There is a little bit of a love triangle in this book. So 
he saves her from her bad situation. She doesn't even know he's back in town to be there to save her. So it's totally a coincidence. Um, and he, in the 12 years since their devastating breakup, that was really her running away and not a breakup. She just disappeared with his money. Um, <laughs> he has started trying to move on and is seeing another woman who, of course, is arriving in four days. He, he invited her to his hometown in Texas so that he could t- finally tell her that he was ready to start a relationship with her, the other woman. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's back in town. And who else is back? Mara. And then they end up, all three of them, stuck in his apartment. And it's, you know, every trope you expect except where the women become best friends. Yeah. Yep. That's the one. <laughs> but, I, but I do think that's a trope. Like, you expect it to be this conflict, and then it's not at all. Yeah. Although it does, there is a conflict, just not between the two women. Right. That That's the way in which it is, I feel like, kind of tropey, but in a way I really like. Like, I'd way rather have the trope be, and then the women really hit it off and don't take it out on each other, whatever they're working through with him, than right. the, they're at each other's throats and it's a catty nightmare situation absolutely so much and this is this is what you need to do guys if your man is cheating on you you don't blame the other woman you just blame the you're the anyway i yes. get very upset about this but <laughs> as you should yes uh so yeah i love triangle uh he is a sad tragic orphan literally grew up in an orphanage Literally grew up in an orphanage, never knew his family. He is hot, though. Real hot. That's made very clear. If that's genetic, he's winning. <laughs> exactly. Um, and she, while not a sad job, a tragic orphan, was raised in an abusive home by this cult leader minister father. And her mother ran away from the abusive relationship and left her kid behind. Right. Which is definitely a trope we have seen in historical romances. Absolutely. So she, she is, she has done criminal things. She admits to it. But the one thing that's a a bridge too far lane is that she will not cuss. She will not take the Lord's name in vain and she won't use any dirty words. Right, and so she um, makes up her own variety of cussing, which we have definitely read before. There was a romantic hero who only used Shakespearean cursing. The Duchess Dare. Or no, the Duchess Deal. I always mess that up because it was written by Tessa Dare. The Duchess Deal. Ash only the Shakespearean curses. Yes. Yes. So um, we have seen that before. But there's also, she's a criminal who doesn't curse. And at one point she's abducted and one of her abductors is the abductor who will not hurt a woman unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. So you've got a couple of those criminals with their own moral code. Right. The text. Exactly. Exactly. Thieves with their own sense of honor, whatever. Yes. And um, she can't say, I love you. Like literally. Well, not literally. But, like, she acts like it's literally. She act, She does act like it's a literal thing, yeah. At one point, she actually gets mad at him because he didn't ask her to say it. 
Uh-huh. I don't know. that Their relationship is a little hard to follow for me. It was a little, it was a little rough for me too. Yeah. Um, but so the last major trope I want to just identify is at one point in the text, they literally talk about the sins of the father. Mm-hmm. So um, she's, as I mentioned in my summary, a third generation con artist. Her grandfather was this train robber who he and his friends hit all their gold. And then he became this preacher. Then her father took over the church and turned it into a cult where he was conning his parishioners. So, She's got literally this legacy of both treasure hunting and her father's abuse. Mm-hmm. And there are other descendants of and stories of the people who participated in the trade heist that occur within the book. And they're all sort of dealing with their own weight of their own actions and the actions of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. makes it feel a lot, that makes it sound deeper than it was. It was really just like, where did you hide the gold and did you steal the gold from my family? <laughs> I mean, yes, but there is also, I will say, I don't know how successfully it was done, but she does draw a comparison between Ethan, who doesn't know anything about his family and mm-hmm. thus has grown up knowing that all of his accomplishments are his own Mm -hmm. um, and feels no sense of that weight of the sins of the father, you know, family tradition, nothing. Right. Uh, And he's, he sort of sees how it's affecting Mara and he's thinking to himself, you know, he, I think he realizes that it's not just an abusive childhood, but now it's, it's this entire worldview where, in his worldview, all of his accomplishments are because he made them happen. And in her right. case, all, all of her accomplishments are because she was trained to be that way by a, by a terrible man, basically. Right. And she also has the quintessential fear of becoming the mother who abandoned her. Mm-hmm. And, of course, by having that fear, she abandoned the one person she really loved weird how that happens yeah so weird right weird how that happens yeah so so (laughs) i think for me the the toughest part about their relationship is that they haven't seen each other for about 10 years right yes 12 specifically they say well 12 years so so i guess they're both 30 at this point because they last saw each other when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. I, I guess for me, it's tough to think that a high school romance was the great romance of my life, but I, I don't know. They did that their could best. Just be right after high school, you know? I mean, Selena Montgomery does her best to justify it, right? She's basically been on the run ever since. Right not settling down with anyone and the way she left him and the things that happened to her right before she did. They do their best to justify that. Like she's basically been living in this stasis of person on the run since they broke up, even though it was high school. And for all that, like it was a high school relationship. She was the closest thing to like a person he'd ever had because of being an orphan. I still, I agree with you. I cannot imagine a high school love weighing on you like this at age 30. Yeah. And of course for him, he's, 
he has finally decided that he is going to, you know, bury the hatchet or whatever they call it. Not bury the hatchet, but he's going to move on from the relationship and he's ready to fall in love with someone else, ready to fully commit to someone else when literally four days before he's going to commit to someone else, Mara comes back in his life. Yep. So I, I think it's always tough for us to have a man who's made a commitment to someone else, even if it's not like, even if he's not engaged or married to someone else, I think it's hard for us to see someone who is considering like a serious relationship with another woman. Well, and it's not just the considering, right? It would have been one thing if his time in Texas had made him realize when he got back to Boston, he wanted to try to make it work with this ex or whatever. She is coming to Texas in four days and has apparently been talking to him regularly and expects updates on his personal like goings on and clearly shows up, kisses him, thinks there is something going on between them. So like regardless of what they've specifically articulated about their future together, I'm sorry if like he's thinking about the rest of his life with this woman, regardless of what label they've put on it, she's a girlfriend. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I still, it's hard for me to believe that he doesn't call her and tell her not to come, but you know, he, he, he doesn't, he lets her still come. <laughs> well, and I get that she's partially coming for him and partially coming to like consult on his project, but the way I read it, it sounded very much like the consultant part was secondary. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> so didn't love that. One of the things I did like about the text was the diversity in the characters. I thought it was actually really cool. So um, Mara, actually all three of the members of our love triangle. So Mara, Ethan, and what's her name? Lindsay. Lindsay? Leslie? Leslie. Leslie. So all, th all three of the members of our love triangle, uh, Mara, Ethan, and Leslie, are black. Um, mm -hmm. But Mara specifically is mixed race. And her grandmother, who we meet in um, the prologue and who does appear in the text later, is uh, of Japanese um, descent, which I thought was a, a really interesting thing to put in the text so I, I um, thought that not only is her grandmother of Japanese descent she was a Japanese circus performer slash tattoo artist that woman was a badass and I was very disappointed when I realized this book was not going to vacillate back and forth between the timeline of the train heist and the present day because I wanted so much more of her grandma uh so much I thought she sounded so cool and I, I would have loved to read her story. Like, uh, it didn't mm -hmm. even have to be romance necessarily. Just like, how did she get to be a circus performer slash tattoo artist in Texas in the, in the 1930s, you know? Also a quilter. Also like, what? Like a quilter. She's also like a great seamstress and they talk about it. Like, she just seems like the coolest lady. 
Missed that one. Yes, she has a quilter too. Like she just, she's one of those, she's the romance novel heroine where we'd be like, she has like 95 jobs. We'd be like, yeah, yeah, we don't believe it, but we love reading it. <laughs> right. Like I really wanted more of her story. She was really cool. She, she was very cool. So, so anyway, I, I liked that this was a black centered romance. And I, I also liked that it, it talked about the diversity of the black experience as well. So the fact that Mara came from these, these con artists stock, but Leslie came from, you know, she was the upper class Bostonian stock, right? Mm-hmm. And Ethan so. was the bridge between the two worlds. <sighs> right. Ethan was the, he was super smart and he was going to be a doctor, but then he realized when he went to med school that he actually didn't want to work on living people to become a forensic anthropologist, which that's pretty cool too. Yeah, no, it was... There were a lot of really interesting things about all of the characters. And I yeah. felt like whenever they talked about their lives, I was more interested in their individual stories than this treasure hunt. Yeah. The treasure hunt made me think of Na National Treasure and also made me think of Dan Brown's, you know, uh, Da Vinci Code, because there's a big emphasis on numerology. And this is where Mara gets to shine and show that she's just as much of a, an intellectual match for Ethan as Leslie is. Yeah, because she knows how letters correspond to numbers in the Greek alphabet. She knows the Greek alphabet, and she also basically has the Bible memorized. Yep. And she can also be like, well, they used this word in this part of the Bible, and they used this word in this part of the Bible, and this is the Greek word, so it really means this. I don't know. <laughs> That's how she got to, to show that she was just as competent as them. It was interesting. I mean, her dad was a cult leader, and they used their own symbols and tied it into their own biblical references in the way a lot of, like, Christian cults evolve. Right. Once again would have been really interested to see that really delved into and picked apart. But outside of the discussion of Mara's abuse and then the discussion of these weird symbols her father created and why, or the way her father ascribes new meaning to them and why, mm -hmm. there's not really a huge discussion of like how the cult happened or what the practices of the cult were. I'm not saying like I wanted to read that, but once again, like there's clearly an allusion to a lot more than the book could go into. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So one of the things that made me laugh out loud reading this book is like toward the end when they actually start, the first half is sort of her going on the run from the people she has pissed off in her pursuit of gathering information about the treasure. Mm -hmm. And then the second half is sort of the treasure hunt itself. Yeah. And when they go on the treasure hunt itself, that like demarcation also sort of marks the difference between Ethan and Mara as like adversarial and Ethan and Mara working past their issues with one another. Mm -hmm. And it's like not a very subtle parallel. I laughed out loud several times when they go to the cave with Ethan's girlfriend, question mark. Mind you, they've been making out all book. Um, and he's thinking to himself about, like, the two women and the potential future with each. 
And mm -hmm. literally as you're in his head and he's sort of making the decision that, spoiler alert, he's into the heroine, Mara. Um, one of them looks back to him and says, are you ready to move on? Right. <laughs> and then later they're in the cave and the ex-girlfriend has to go do something with like the cave owners or whatever. And so Ethan um, is helping Mara like navigate this cave and it's just the two of them. And he looks at her and he's like, I'm ready when you are. Right. And the whole scene is just these like double entendres, not in like a sexual way, but in a like, is he talking about the treasure hunt or is he talking about her? Yeah. I, I will say I was a little confused about the timeline, Lane, because she, this is, okay, I guess it's like a minor spoiler for literally the first chapter. She gets shot in her arm. Yeah. And Ethan heals her because, oh, not only that, he's got a tetanus shot just hanging out in his fridge. Yeah. That me up because he, he gives her a shot and she's like what was it and he's like tetanus shot and I was like wait what <laughs> you're a forensic anthropologist you just have tetanus shots hanging out in your fridge but okay whatever um and then it towards the end of the book they spoiler alert find the treasure and they're digging it up and she's just like digging it up with them and I was like wow like how long has it been was she or how how long does it take gunshot wounds to heal because she was just using that shovel I was impressed so I would guess it had been one week right that's that's what I thought too and then I thought would she be able to do that I don't know well because so he says she was shot on Monday kidnapped on Thursday Leslie's plane got in on Friday Friday Mm -hmm. Saturday they start the treasure hunt. Sunday, Saturday night or Sunday, Leslie leaves, and when she gets off the plane, plane in Boston, like she never gets to Boston. So like, it's gotta be Monday or Tuesday that the day one happens. So literally a week. Yeah. So so question, listeners, do you think that Mar would have been able to dig up to dig a pretty deep hole a week after she got a gunshot wound in her arm or that she could dig one-handed yeah maybe she was digging one-handed I think I I I all I wish is that this had been addressed even just a little bit like she pushed through the pain or she had to take more frequent breaks or whatever I think I would have been fine with it but since it wasn't mentioned I was like I was really wondering about it yeah Were you offended by anything in this book, Lane? I wouldn't say offended, but I do think there's a lot of trigger warnings. Mm -hmm. So Mara was abused as a child. Her mother was abused and had to flee. Mara as an adult is abused in what I felt was a scene that was too graphic. Yeah. Um, there are discussions of prostitution, not because anyone is a prostitute, but because Ethan expects Mara to be. And yeah, his and internal monologue about prostitution wasn't great. Yeah, I was going to say he, when he, he does actually confront her about it, sort of, and he's like, I'm not judging. And I'm like, you totally were judging. We're in your head, Ethan. We know what you're thinking. 
Well, and he even calls it like women who make their living on their backs. Like it's just a lot of like outdated terminology. Yeah. Um, and also trigger warning for infidelity if that bothers you because he cheats. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, maybe the toughest part is that one of the things that Montgomery does is she puts us in, I think almost every single character who appears in the book, we get at least a paragraph from their perspective. So Mm -hmm. we see what Leslie is thinking about Mara. We, of course we're in Mara and Ethan's heads. Uh, I think we're even in the police chief's head for like a paragraph. Um, The big, the big baddie, we get to see it from his perspective. Uh, And then there, one of the thugs chasing Mara is this guy who is, he's sadistic and he can't wait to rape her and do all this horrible stuff to her. And he thinks about how great it's going to be when he catches her. And that, that was too much for me, honestly. I was like, ooh. That was the hardest. Those scenes felt very abrupt. And I feel like just to kind of move into sexiness, that was something I struggled with with the writing overall. Like, not only did those jumps into those traumatic headspaces, were those thoughts that I found, like, not fun, feel very like, oh, okay, we're there now. But even their relationship, the progress of it, sometimes jumped around in a way I was like, wait, how'd we get here? Right. You know, they're fighting one moment, they're making out the next, they've decided to forgive each other. And, like, I just felt like the tone of their conversations, it's not like, there's one scene where he gets up and she's being friendly and making him breakfast and he thinks, like, oh, God, this is a change. Like, that didn't bother me. But I sort of don't get, like Meg was saying, this whole book takes place within a week. And within every single one of those given days, I feel like they felt three different ways about each other. And it just kind of moved in a way that I wasn't always necessarily following the narrative arc of their relationship. Yeah. And that meant both the sex and their romantic resolution to a degree felt unearned. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are a couple of heavy makeouts. I will say one of them takes place, like, what do you call, he is living in a warehouse. And he's living on, you know, in an upper, like a loft, I guess, in this warehouse. Um, but in the bottom are like 50 dead bodies. And... Mm-hmm. I guess in the bottom is a lab. I guess you I guess you can't really call it a morgue. It's not a morgue. It's I guess it's a lab. They're not they're not fresh bodies, but they're bodies. And there is one makeout scene that takes place in the lab on one of the metal tables. And I have to admit I was a little <laughs> freaked out about it. That scene was tough because that was the scene where she was even thinking about his girlfriend. That too, yeah. So I'm like, okay, so this hot and heavy makeout, I'm supposed to be thinking about her being the other woman and the dead bodies in their immediate vicinity. Cool, 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 cool. This isn't hot. <laughs> it wasn't hot. That was not hot. And I feel like the, the, what they were doing could have been hot. But the way it was presented, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about the other things that were happening in the scene. <laughs> Well, and, like, even their first kiss, mm-hmm. well, their, their first new kiss in the book, not, like, the flashbacks to their past. Right. It's like a, she's trying to say goodbye and then kisses him one last time for the road. 
And it just yeah. like, I, I think the angstiness of that and the fact that, you know, she was once again, not his girlfriend and he had one. Yeah. That sort of took me out of the sexiness of the moment and how hot it could have been. Right. I will say that, so this is a book where there's there's really only one sex scene um, and a couple of makeouts. Uh, but, but I will say that I kind of loved the how the sex goes down because oh, they're, cool. they're on the run. They finally get a hotel room and they're like, okay, we're going to rest because we really need to rest up so that we can figure this out. And instead they just boink all night long. Like I thought the scene where they finally get together was great, not only because it's such a dereliction of duty, which I actually enjoyed, yes. but because like they sort of have worked through the worst of their issues. They haven't necessarily decided on what the future holds, but like they have made peace with their past. Yeah. And so I felt like it was a really good moment to stick it in the text. Um, yes. And I definitely understood like the catharsis that the previous scenes had been for them. Um, yeah. It was a little more innuendo. Yeah. Than I think our favorite sex scenes in romance novels. <laughs> yes. Agreed. It was a little prosy. Not to say yeah. it was bad or unsexy. It was just, you know. Yeah, a lot of, you know, floods of emotion and sunrises and stuff like that. And a lot of, like, they fell asleep nestled together and she awoke to him touching her intimately and they began anew. Like, it was prosy. Yeah. But if you're going to have sex, like, do it all night long. Mm-hmm. I love how the next day they're like, oh, I'm really kind of tired, you know? <laughs> they were going to have sex again, except that it turned out they were being followed. <laughs> I do have to say, I recognize that in historicals, when they're having sex in these, like, carriage inns, that it's not, like, cleanly accommodations. It, it, by modern standards. I'm sure plenty of them were lovely by 18th, 18th and 19th century standards. The description of how seedy this motel was, I could have done without. Yeah, we didn't need to know how seedy it was. Well, and especially it because, yeah. especially because, like, literally three chapters later, they're put up in the Ritz Carlton. Mm-hmm. And it's like, plot-wise, I understand why you went with the seedy motel, but also, I would rather you were having sex somewhere I trusted that they changed the sheet. Absolutely, yep. Not just me. It's not just you. <laughs> but no, I thought I thought the treasure hunter aspect was really fun. I loved the there was a lot of tropes I didn't put in the trope section because I felt like they were suspense thriller mystery tropes, not romance tropes. Right. But like the treasure map had been in front of them the whole time. Yeah, the treasure was there the whole time, and then they they do some sneaky stuff. They they outwit the villain in the end, and so like, I really liked. I saw a lot of potential in both the non-romance aspects and in terms of like the arc of their relationship. I think 
it wasn't necessarily my type of book. Like our listeners know we gravitate toward traditional historical romances. Um, and yeah. I do think I, I'm interested in reading some of Stacey Abrams' later work to see if what I felt like were some of the unevenness in the plot in the relationships sort of get leveled out as she wrote more books. Yeah, I, I would say I basically agree with that. Uh, did I love this book? I didn't love it. On the other hand, I do think it's partially because of just my personal preferences and the kind of romance that I like to read. So. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, I am reading outside my comfort zone with this. That does not mean I did not like it. It just right. means, like, I wasn't, I am not going to be like, oh, my God, I'm in the mood for something fluffy and fashion. I really want to read that scene where he buttons her plastic discs again. <laughs> plastic discs. <laughs> I laughed out loud, Meg. I know. Well, I think maybe my favorite part about the fashion is mm-hmm. that she's she's on the run. She has been running, like literally running for miles through the small town. She finally gets, you know, into the safe house where Ethan is going to take care of her. And it turns out the whole time she was not wearing a bra. Really? Okay. Wait, like you've been literally running for the last 30 minutes, honey. I would have been holding on for dear life with both hands. Oh. No, like I walk up and down my stairs at home, I'm going to grab on, you know? <laughs> Yup. But I was just like, I don't know what is going on with your situation, but girl. Yeah. Also, they never mentioned, at least, okay, I might have been skimming through this part, but did they ever mention going out and getting her clothes that fit? Like, they go out to go try on no. clothes and see her grandma in the nursing home, and they couldn't have taken 10 seconds to run into Target and get her pants in her own size, because she, uh, Leslie makes a comment when she showed up that on that Friday, she's still wearing Ethan's pants. Yep. Yep. Just no. Like, it has been they, five days and they have gone places. Buy her pants. Yeah. I mean, she is wearing nicer clothes in the very end, the denouement. Right. No, no, right. But no, the whole time that they're on the run with the treasure hunt, she is wearing his cutoff khakis. That's just ridiculous. Oh, it is. It was it's very hard. disappointing to our, sure. to our clothes porn ways. Oh. It just, really, that's. That's the part that I want to be like, I saw no potential there. You don't think my heroine should probably shower and put on pants? Like, what, what are we doing? Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you could rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on the internet at Instagram. Um, that would be at Tantris and also on Goodreads.